Oh, well, thank you, Justin. It is good to worship. I always like my worship with a side of baseball, uh, and, and I miss baseball, but I certainly miss being around your faces. Yesterday, we had a chance to gather in the parking lot and do an Austin uh, breakfast drive through and there was just something about being able to see some familiar faces over a breakfast taco and a fun donut, but... Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the, um, this idea of journey. And maybe the, the best metaphor that we have for faith is the idea of a journey. In other words, faith is, um, is always active. It's, it's, it's never passive. It's never static. It's something that we're moving towards. And so the idea of a journey is always also long. And anyone can start out the journey and be strong at the beginning. And I don't know if quarantine is wearing you down. I don't know if a political season is wearing you down. My guess is yes, those things have a way of just gnawing at us without even being fully aware. But the question we have when we wrestle with the idea of journey, whether it be in marriage or in family or in COVID quarantine, um, is how do you renew yourself? It's like trying to rebuild a freeway and still have rush hour. Do you wait for warning lights to come on? Do you drive with the reserve tank on fumes? Is there a means in which you're able to renew in the middle of it all? Now, I had a coach in high school who was more of a track guy who hobbied in basketball. But the one thing about our basketball team is we weren't the very best, but we were in the best shape because his conditioning was relentless. And he had this way of telling us um, about the fourth quarter. And, and, and we would huddle up in games or we would huddle up at the end of practice. And that's when we'd have to shoot our free throws because he had this idea and he would say it to us all the time, just be tired later which is really good for a work ethic, but it doesn't always teach you how to sustain yourself for the long haul. I remember early in a preseason game, we had this game and we were outmatched, but we were competitive except at the free throw line. We went 11 for 29 as a team at the free throw line. And for the rest of the season, and oh, by the way, we lost the game by 19 points. So at every practice for the rest of the season was he would be yelling at us as we're in some like sprint competition, as we're in some animal drill, some rebounding, and he would be yelling 11 for 29, 11 for 29, be tired later. <laughs> it's like it got ingrained in my head. And this is the point. When the journey of life wears on and wears us down, setbacks, discouragement, fatigue, where does your help come from? Can you see God in the middle of a storm? Can you have a sense of his presence even though things aren't working out? Can you sense God in a storm, in a valley, in a desert? And while at the same time, let God form Christ in you in the ashes. I want to show you about a three-minute video clip. Now, there's two cultural commentators that I really appreciate. I watched this a couple months back. It was recorded during quarantine, but it was the beginning of April. 
Mark Sayers is a pastor in Melbourne, Australia. I've referenced him before, but he has such an incredible insight into uh, what's going on around us. He does incredible amounts of reading, but he was also interviewing a mentor of his by the name of Terry Walling. They were talking about the nature of transition. And in our context, we're talking about this long pilgrimage, this journey and times of crisis. And the question becomes is, how do we, how do we manage the time that, there, uh, that we're all in right now? And so I want to share with you a video uh, from their conversation just to kind of set the table on, on what, uh, what we're talking about today. So let me just tee it up for us. This is Mark Sayers and Terry Walling. Um, we thought it'd be great to talk to you. Um, obviously, you're someone who has poured into me, Sarah, other leaders at Red. You've come out to rebuilders. And one of the things that we've all learned from you, which we thought it'd be great to share with um, our community, is that really you're someone who understands crises and transitions and the <laughs> role that they play in deepening our lives. Um, yeah. This is a profound um, moment of crisis for the world. Unbelievable, um, yeah. Yep. And and it's a uh, also an opportunity in the midst of the crises. Um, right. What are some of the opportunities you, opportunities that you see for us as believers um, in the midst of a moment like this? Yeah. Well, one of the general characteristics of a time of transition is the fact that we can't go back, but we don't know which way forward, and it creates this time of uncertainty, even a time of isolation. And what typically happens is that, you know, all of us uh, don't like those moments. And so we want to kind of actually get out of them as quick as we can. But the reality is if you look back on many, many years of how God shapes leaders, even biblically, how he's been shaping leaders uh, historically and even today, you begin to discover something. We want out of transitions, but God wants in. And God uses these in-between moments to do things he could often never do, and not because of him, because of our response, um, without being in a time of transition. So one of the things that, that is actually good, even about a time of transition, is the ability to actually have him refine us and take us to a new place deeper in our dependency on him. And what that tip typically yields is a greater authority to minister for him. And so the very thing we resist sometimes is actually the very thing he is trying to do to align us with him and be able to grant us more of his presence. And so while I don't like this moment and you don't like this moment and all those listening don't like this moment, in reality, this could be a moment in time where God does some of his greatest work. Because personal renewal precedes and leads to corporate change. And that truth is this. If we're going to go to a new place as a church, he needs to take us to a, in our dependency on him. So part of the, the, the axiom I've, I've taught people with transition is instead of resisting it, move toward it lean into it and actually get all you can out of a transition because almost just like you see with this virus they come to an end 
And when they come to an end, we have what we have. And we have the work we've allowed God to do in each one of our lives. Well, I hope you can get a little bit out of that. Uh, he said a couple of things that I thought were pretty significant. Um, it would be fun if we were in a living room uh, and in a kind of a small group sharing, but I'll just highlight some of the things he said that I thought were worth noting. We can't go back, but we don't know where to go forward. And we're all entering this time of uncertainty. But we want out of transition, but God often wants in because it presents us with this opportunity to refine us. And we often end up resisting the things that he's trying to do. And then thirdly, I don't know if you caught this, but he said, personal renewal is the thing that precedes corporate change. And if we're going to go to a new place as a church, he needs to take us to a new place of dependency on him. So what we know is that faith, like marriage, family, friendship, technology, culture, in every season presents us with new challenges and new opportunities, which means that faith needs to be able to adapt and transition to find deeper levels of meaning and affection with God. See, we're living in this unprecedented time of transition with global pandemic, economic disruption, and civil unrest. The question is, what can we gain? What can we learn? And how can God redeem us through this time? Two weeks ago, we started this series. In all of Psalms, there's a subset that are called the Pilgrim Psalms or the Psalms of Ascent. You could take that figuratively uh, or literally as they are climbing up the, the, the stairs to the temple or the city set on a hill. But these pilgrims, these, these people of God would make this pilgrimage, this long enduring journey to return to Jerusalem three times a year with great anticipation and with hope. And so this Psalms of Ascent are personally, but also as a church, um, it's uh, growing emotionally uh, toward God, growing spiritually, learning to trust in God. And in Psalm 123 that we're going to look at today, we observe the aspect of being a disciple that takes the form of servanthood. And servanthood, or the word service, isn't even mentioned in there, but the picture is painted. See, this is why Christianity at times feels countercultural or even counterintuitive. You try and live your life for Christ, but it feels like the world isn't set up for your faith to succeed. And so in our free market economy, servants don't win or they don't come out on top. But what we'll see from Psalm 123, which is four verses long, being a servant of Christ is the only path that leads to true freedom. At the end of this message, uh, we want to be able to share in communion as well. So I hope that you maybe have a corner of your piece of toast this morning or 
tear off a piece of a tortilla from your breakfast taco, save a swallow of coffee, because we want to actually share in communion today as we pursue the idea of being a bondservant to Christ and finding ultimate freedom. I'm reading from um, the message translation today because I've been going through a book uh, called, but written by Eugene Peterson called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction, where he highlights lots of these ideas about what it means to be formed in the image of God by taking this pilgrimage. We are a people that loves immediate results, and he's saying our formation in Christ is over the long haul. While we like instant ROI, God is nurturing and doing something significant in our lives. Now, if you have an app or, or maybe if you have uh, the version of the message, you would just open it up to uh, Psalm 123. Again, it's just four verses. If you don't have it, I'm going to post it in the chat section so that we could all follow along with this version of, of Scripture. But I just want to go ahead and read through a couple of points. Now, let's just look at two things primarily from this. The first thing he says out of this is he says, I look to you, heaven-dwelling God, look up to you for help. The first thing when we begin any journey, whether it be a journey in marriage or a journey in faith, a journey in friendship or a journey in career, a journey in COVID and quarantine, whatever the journey might be, the journey is going to be long. And so the question is about our focus. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalm reminds us that God is our focus, despite all of the threats, despite all of the fears, despite all of the fatigue, God is always and forever still on his throne. If there was something that you could remind yourself, like a renewable vow between you and God, is that he is still on your, his throne. And that is a great reminder to wake up to every day. Because it's so easy to be consumed, to be so distracted by challenges and overscheduling. A focus being on the Lord means this, God is the foundation in which we build the rest of our lives on. So where do you look? for understanding? Where do you look each day for wisdom? Where do you go for true confidence? Not just in your ability and your cunning uh, or in your wit or in your charm or in your resources. Where do you go for justice? Where do you look for true hope? Maybe the best way that I can, and some of you might have heard this, is how do you focus uh, how do we know our focus is on the Lord? And the best way I can illustrate that is through the paradigm of two circles. Now, I don't have a, a, a written diagram, but just imagine one circle is like a pie graph. And the pie graph is where we have slices of life. And there's a slice for career, and there's a slice for family. There's a slice for leisure and hobbies. There's a slice for personal health and, and hygiene. There's a slice for God. And the problem when we live our lives in a pie-shaped graph is nothing actually has the center occupying our hearts. And so what happens is, depending on the season or the trial or the circumstances, something is always getting crowded out in the pie-shaped paradigm. 
And so we go through extremely busy times or skeptical times and God gets crowded out. We go through busy times or times where work is really demanding. And so exercise gets crowded out. We go through times where our costs, because our car breaks down or something goes wrong with our house and, and, and our savings or our retirement uh, go. My point is this. If we live with a paradigm of a pie-shaped graph, everything competes against everything, and we no, live no, with no sense of center. So the other diagram of a circle is that with a hub. And at the center of the hub is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And what happens from that hub, like a wagon wheel, is that every spoke that goes out are all the things that fill our life. So we have Christ at the center that informs our career ambition and our upward mobility. It informs the stewardship of our health and our time. It informs the way we steward our influence over a family and how we prioritize our marriage in Christ. But everything is rooted in an eternal center. So the psalmists on this long journey, literally, but it, painting the picture of what does it mean to be a, on a pilgrimage with God where Christ is able to renew us in the midst of fatigue and distraction and discouragement and threat is saying with Christ at the center, with Christ as our focus and our foundation, nothing can prevail. Nothing can, can trump that. And so there is a wonderful picture that I, I would love to give you in just giving a perspective for growing a living faith. Now he goes on to say these words. Listen to how he paints a picture moving on. He uses the word like servants alert to their master's commands, like a maiden attending her lady. We're watching and waiting, holding out our breath, Awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, oh God, mercy. We've been kicked around long enough. We've been kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men. Kicked when we're down again by arrogant brutes. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of, of what this is. As Christians, we're not simply considering ourselves followers of Christ. We're not just calling ourselves believers in Christ. Rather, we are servants of Christ because that requires an active reorientation to how we give our lives to something more and someone better. So as a servant, the only thing we do is seek the will and the desire of our master. And the only really healthy expectation a servant can have that is guaranteed to not disappoint or delay is for mercy. Now, at this point, the, he would have uh, lived in a time where slavery and indentured servitude was institutionalized. Our country knew at a time when slavery was institutionalized. And the thing that I would say about slavery is that power has always had a way of breeding oppression. Too often, power consumes our levels of empathy, compassion, and equality. And in our era, we've done away with the institution of slavery, but there's still lots of inequality. And here's what I'm learning, though. I'm learning how freedom is relative. 
It's announced and it's celebrated, but we also complain a lot about restrictions and limits. We also live in a society with severe addiction, which limits our ability to really live freely. See, too often we're enslaved to body image or not growing old. Too often we're enslaved to substance or career ambition, keeping up with appearances or the trauma of our childhood. There are things that we're being enslaved to. In fact, the root meaning of this, this word mercy, is to stoop or to be inclined toward. So when we read in the Psalms, when we pray for mercy, what we're doing is we're inviting the God of heaven to come down to enter our condition, to redeem our circumstances, and to save us. And the cry for mercy is readily available. Have you ever had a coach, a boss, a teacher, a youth leader, that loved you so much or that cared for you. You wanted to work harder because you knew, number one, they believed in you. Number two, that they were trustworthy. You knew and understood that they were kind and wise and worth following. That's the picture here. Not of an abusive kind of power, but in something in wanting to wait for a merciful master to give, and, and, and the mercy is readily available. This is how Eugene Peterson would state it in, in when, when he, he paints a picture of it. He says, the Christian is a person who recognizes um, that our real problem uh, is not in achieving freedom, but in learning service to a better master. The psalm has really nothing to do about serving others per se. Instead, it concentrates on being a servant of God. That helps me in my own perspective when I feel like it's more work to serve my fellow man. But God's people in every setting are always encouraged to work for the liberation of others, helping to free them from every form of bondage, economically, politically, culturally. Freedom in Christ is to live as a person in love for the sake of God and neighbor, not a license to grab and to push. See, I think we have a definition of freedom today that sounds like it is my right and it's my it's, it's my entitlement to live without boundary or restriction. You can't tell me to wear a mask uh, any more than you can to love and respect my neighbor. And we have missed the point of what true freedom looks like. And so my point is this, Psalm 123 can teach us that we all, at some point, will enslave ourselves to something. And often it's to ourselves to be in the center of our own life. But true liberty is found in giving ourselves to something that's eternal, that will last and not fade. And the thing about becoming a servant of Christ is that it frees us from being the center of our own lives, where the only expectation we have of the God of the universe who sent his son is for mercy and it's already willingly given.
So this picture, these four verses is, where does your help come from? Well, it comes from a God who's, who's our focus, the center of our life, regardless of our circumstance. And then it shapes our expectation, not for God to enter into our story and to make things easier or to give us what I want, but to look to him to extend his mercy again and again.